In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, we're going to have a conversation on sexuality and a subject that people often overlook or are not aware of, that this is such a huge part of the general health of just, I'm just going to say for the U.S. population, and that's about sexuality and disability. And that can be someone who is dealing with a chronic fatigue, with a hip injury, cardiac, whether it is um, an injury from biking, from military, but it is something that that is often never discussed with a physician. And my guest this evening is a licensed clinical psychologist who has been an advocate for the sexual rights and sexual expression of people with disabilities for over 15 years. And her name is Dr. Linda Mona. Linda, are you online? I am online, Lou. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with me this evening. I am so excited to do this show with you. Thank you, my dear. I should let everyone know that Linda and I have done four different presentations for severely injured soldiers returning from OEF and OIF, and she has been someone who literally has been like my training wheels in this area because my expertise is techniques and ideas and the, you know, the sexual function, but as a clinical psychologist, Dr. Mona has like this umbrella awareness of all the parts of how disability is but one thing, but it's like dealing with the entire person. And I remember, Linda, you telling me that one of the things that often will happen for someone with a disability is people often assume that they are asexual. Right, right. Um, and, and before I go any further, you're all going to have to bear with me tonight. I've lost my voice a little bit, so I'm, but I'm sure the raspiness will be appropriate for the show, Lou, and for you. <laughs> you know, 
No, I trust that you have your tea or your water with you. I have, uh, per your recommendation, I have tea right in front of me. So, right, I mean, you know, let's get back to this very important topic, um, and that is that, you know, one of the most common assumptions is that people who live with any kind of disability um, are not sexual, meaning they don't participate in sexual activity, they might not feel very identified as an attractive, hot, sexy, sexual human being. So that, you know, and and I think it, it goes along also with the misperception that people with disabilities have so much to deal with in their life, they couldn't possibly have room to think about their erotic lives, and that's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we saw, I mean, for me, you've been dealing with this for 15 years, but particularly for me, it was like right on the plate when we are dealing with these young soldiers, both women and men, coming back, and they have their whole life ahead of them. And the last thing they want to do is not have that type of a connection and not be considered to be sexual beings. Right, right. And you, and, and I think that um, it really kind of, you know, whether it's, it's people coming back from military service or people who acquire disabilities in, in one way or another, that um, everybody experiences that change differently. And typically we, what we see is that for those people who had sexuality as an important part of their life, an important part of their relationship, it remains to be important and it remains to be high on what we call the rehabilitation menu, if you will. What's high in terms of what we're helping people to adapt to um, after their body or mind has changed. And so, but, but what we've seen at that conference and as well as other conferences that we've worked on um, is that it is very much in the forefront and especially with the younger generation who have kind of, um, I think, grown up with sexuality uh, being a little bit more in the forefront with the media and and in discussions, that people really kind of know what they want and they talk about it very openly. And we, of course, are very happy to help them with adapting to this change. Mm -hmm. Now, as a, one of the things that you do as well for anyone, um, Dr. Mona's site is drlindamona.net. And in the services area, you have that you do training for hospitals and training for businesses. What are the biggest areas that hospitals need to have better training when they are working with someone with disabilities? Well, I think I think the what really needs to happen is obviously an increase in education around disability as a diverse experience. So hospitals spend a lot of time on diversity and multicultural training, and yet we don't see disability as part of that. So I think part of it is educating healthcare workers and any service providers around the fact that this is a diverse life experience. You are going to treat this patient as you would anyone else, and you're going to ask specific questions around disability and the nature of disability. So how, and a question like that might look like, you know, if somebody comes into the hospital, we ask all of these general questions, you know, to what degree are you satisfied with your sex life? Sure, we ask that, or or to what degree are you satisfied um, with your intimate life? But then we're also going to say, in what ways has your disability or impairment um, affected your sex life. We're not assuming that it's negative. We don't want to say, what are all your problems? What are mm-hmm. all your concerns? There might be problems and concerns. Right. Seriously, there might be. And, we're, and I'm not minimizing that. But we want to be very open and we need to look at this as a diverse life experience. Um, as we say in the disability community, it's an equal opportunity experience and one that can affect anybody at any time. And it generally affects us at some point in our life or somebody that we love. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that um, that the relationship issues are not necessarily tied to the disability issues. That that's correct. It can, or it may or may not be. It mm-hmm. may or may not be. If there are existing relationship conflicts prior to having a, a, some kind of disability or impairment, there's likely to be conflict afterwards. Sometimes it provides people with an opportunity to talk more. We always say when, when any big life change occurs, it kind of forces people to be in more of a communication mode and to talk about really sensitive topics, which you and I both know is so hard for everyone to do. Um, and this puts people in a position where they really need to communicate more, and they need to communicate more about how and when to have sex and what it means to have a different body and a different mind. And now, let's say you have a client who comes in, and they have just had an accident. They no longer are able to put weight on one side of their body. Let's say they've had a very bad hip injury. What might you suggest to them as, you know, they're dealing with with other things that they might be able to do? Well, you know, and, and, and even though it's part of protocol for all people who go through something like this, that their physician talks to them about it, they usually don't. And so right. what I would say is that in the event that your <laughs> physician has not discussed this with you, I'm here to discuss it with you. Um, and what I would do is I would first figure out what kind of restrictions that person might have in terms of them rehab, rehabbing or, you know, adjusting and, and healing that part of their body and kind of knowing what the expectation is. And then you know, I would go with, well, do you have pain? If so, when are the times that you don't have pain? Are there certain positions? Are you more comfortable sitting up, standing up, laying down? I don't know, standing on your head, whatever it might be, but something to kind of get into what it is that their their body is comfortable. What we know is that there are a significant number of people for a variety of reasons that deal with chronic pain. And chronic pain, you know, if people are experiencing chronic pain, and I'm sure we all can relate to that in some way, and some of us more than others, that, you know, it's the last thing on your mind, right? It's the last, sex is the last thing on your mind. But if we know that sex is important and is on your mind in general, we can find ways to lessen the pain so it's less of a distraction during sexual activity. Now, that might be taking a, you know, a medication beforehand, that might be, because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, you have said that, you know, that might be something that people could do. Right. Well, what I will, would recommend is people take, you know, pain medication that's prescribed by their physician, um, yes. you know, 20 minutes in advance, right? So 20 minutes in advance when you think you're going to get lucky um, or plan it in, time. you know, if you're in the morning is not a great time for you, then let's plan it in the afternoon. Let's take pain medication. You know, and, and I will tell you that a likely response from people who are dealing with disability for the first time will say, well, are you trying to tell me that I'm not going to have any more spontaneity in my life? Right, because I have to plan everything. And I know Lou and I, you and I have discussed this a lot. You know, sex is often planned by everybody. And it's, there's something really hot about it being planned with text messages and little notes here and there and thinking about it and the buildup. And this is another part of what I called planned spontaneity. And I mean, honeymoon sex is planned, weekend sex is planned, date night sex is planned. I mean, I remember the one guy asking me from Men's Health, and he said, well, you know, so we want to get back to spontaneous sex. I said, okay, that's easy. He goes, really? I said, yeah. You plan it. He goes, 
what? And I said, tell me about these types of sex that weren't planned. You got your brain engaged, and you knew something was going to happen. Now, we are about to, we probably have another 30 seconds before we go to our first break. My guest this evening is Dr. Linda Mona. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, and what we are talking about is sexuality and disability, and when we come back, we will look at what some of our best ideas are four people, and if anyone would like to call in, that number is 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, and please stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Linda Mona, and her website is Dr. spelled D-R, lindamona.com. It will also can show up as .net, but this is what we are going to talk about now, and her specialty is as an advocate for uh, sexuality, uh, for sexual rights, and for sexual expression for people with disabilities. What are some of the best ideas, Linda? Let, let's say someone has been struggling with, they just had an injury, or 
something has happened, and I also want to talk on, you know, TBI and PTSD and how that mm-hmm. impacts, because mm-hmm. that's a huge area right now for many people. What are some of your best ideas for someone to feel connected back to a partner that they know and someone who is going into a new relationship? Okay. Well, I, I and the first thought that I have because this doesn't often happen. I think that as and as a psychologist, I'm compelled to say it. People feel lost, right? We know that they feel lost in some way around their changed body or changed mind. Part of it is creating time to to be able to grieve that loss and to know that that's normal to do that because it's very tempting for a lot of healthcare providers to say, "Oh, you're going to be fine. You're just going to be fine. Relationship is fine. You're fine. You're still sexy." And people don't really know that. They don't have evidence for that. So it's about kind of grieving what was what was there and creating something different. What I tell people is that, you know what? It's probably not going to be exactly the same. It's going to be different and different doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be worse. And so what I'll tell couples is that, you know what? This is a time for you to start all over again. And isn't that a hot idea? You're going to start to get to know each other again. You're going to start to date again. You're going to start to explore each other's bodies in a different way because, you know, one member of that couple has a body that works very differently. And it's not uncommon also to hear somebody say, you know, it's almost like, you know, a partner often will say, it feels like I'm having sex with a different person. And you know what? In some ways, it is. It is a different person, um, uh, perhaps on the outside and or on the inside. But in many ways, it is the same person. And, you know, we, I work with couples to figure out a rhythm for them that, that works with as they adjust to their sex lives. For single people, you know, I work with them to figure out what it is that they're feeling good about themselves. Um, you know, what, what is it in the past that's helped you feel sexy? What, you know, is any, does any of that resonate with you right here and right now? What can we transfer and then what can we explore? You know, what, what, what is that person open to? Of course, all of these things, you know, as you can imagine, as someone enters into a new way of being, their belief systems are challenged, their cultural beliefs, their religious beliefs, everything about that. And we know that religious and cultural beliefs are tied to sexual practices. So mm-hmm. it may be that somebody's challenged with, well, I've never used a sex toy before, before and my belief right. system says that's a no-no, but hmm, that might be a really good way for me to experience a great thing right now. So what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know that um, I've done the you know, same type of thing with couples. One who had a, their disability, if one would call it that, was that they had just had a child and they had absolutely no connection to one another. They were both very, very um, religious. They came to the show because the producer happened to go to their church. And when I asked her, I said, you have no time. And that's the other thing. We have time constraints here with people with their lives and with things. So you may have to do things that can be done more quickly. And I said, you don't have the time you did before your daughter was born. What can you you be open to trying? You know, I called them marital aids. (laughs) And she says, oh, you mean vibrators? I said, yeah. (laughs) And she goes, yeah, sure. And when I asked him, he goes, oh, no. I did, did this separately, and I said, would you be open? He goes, oh, absolutely not. Only those people use them. Right. And I said, would you be surprised if I told you your wife said absolutely? He was like, you're kidding. So, again, it's like creating a new form of communicating that you didn't know about. Right. 
Right. And it may seem kind of weird and strange at first, and I, and I think this is a really good time to normalize humor and kind of feeling odd. You know, like you do at the beginning of a relationship, you kind of feel awkward. You don't really quite know how someone kisses or someone touches, and you're trying to read your partner. Well, you're trying to read your partner in a different way again. I think time is a huge is- issue, you know, for people who are parents and also for people with disabilities because it's an accessibility issue. People need usually more time to do things. And actually, you know, I mean, what more time for sex? Come on. That's not such a bad thing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now, right? one of the things that I remember you doing when we were um, in Orlando mm-hmm. is you were doing mindfulness techniques to have people, now, is this to have them focus more on themselves or to move them out of something that they were focusing on or, you know, so that they go into a place where they have more ability to do that? They develop, you know, a, a better skill set. <clears throat> Right, excuse me. So mindfulness, you know, techniques or kind of being more present is really kind of a hot topic in psychology right now because we're all about what our evidence-based practice is. That is, what do we know to be true that that successfully affects change in people's mental health? And we have found that being more aware, being non-judgmental of what's going on in the moment really helps people to be more present and focused. And so, you know, people with disabilities often times, you know, we're, we are, and, and, you know, I've lived with a disability most of my life, we, you know, we're kind of the, the managers of multitasking, right, because we yeah. deal with multiple systems, we're like, we got to do this, we got to do that, and so I think it's really hard to be present, and it, it is a learned skill, and so it's about, you know, knowing where your mind is and thinking, oh my gosh, is somebody finding me attractive, is my leg going to move the right way, am I going to kick somebody in the head, am I, you know, going to have a spasm and the person's going to not like the way that I look when my body has a spread. There's all of this internal dialogue. Dialogue. It just goes on and on. So part of it is teaching people to do some breathing and be present and to not judge what's going on. So what that that thought comes up, right? So what? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about it. I let the thought come in. I let the thought go out. Let me refocus on how you know, how hot my partner looks and, you know, or how, how much I value being with a person that I love, right? To, to let those feelings kind of come in and out and don't let it distract you from the moment. Um, now, <clears throat> right. Now, when you did, you did an orange. So if someone wants to, like, does, is not sure what a mindfulness technique <laughs> okay. looks like. <laughs> All the psycho jar- jargon, right? So exactly. what, we, what we'll ask people to do is focus on something. So we had oranges, and we had people in the room look at the oranges. We asked them, and we did this all in a very gentle voice, right, because we want people to be calm and kind of relaxed as they're practicing this technique and to be kind of aware of what the orange looked like, what it felt like, what it smelled like, kind of you know, whatever senses that people had, because, you know, in the room, we had some people who couldn't see, some people who didn't have fingers. Uh-huh. We, had, we were assisting, I think you were, somebody else was assisting some of the people with participating in the exercise, which, you know, I'm all about interdependence and personal assistance. And so we helped people to do that. And, and it was another example of modeling doing something differently. But it's about getting somebody's mind in a place where of acceptance and presence so that they can undertake this new body, this new lifestyle, and figure out how it's going to work for them. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say someone needs to have assistance getting into position. Oh, boy, you had to go there, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> One of my most favorite and most controversial topics, right? Yeah. We call that in, in the community, in the disability community, we call it facilitated sex. So that is when somebody with a disability or impairment of some sort needs assistance with masturbation and or if somebody, if two people with disabilities or impairments need assistance with engaging in partner sex. And it's a huge, huge controversial topic because it presents a lot of ethical issues for people. Who do you get to help you, right? Who holds a vibrator for you? Is it your friend? Is it someone you pay um, to help you with other activities? Is it a special assistant? So, I mean, it's very controversial, but I will tell you that sex is so important for so many people that people with disabilities find a way. And what I try to do is work with people to figure out what their resources are, who they trust, and how they can safely make a decision to get assistance with sexual expression. And so, you know, if you don't want, you know, if you're, you're uncomfortable with having people who are around who usually help you with other caregiving tasks, do you have a friend? Do you have somebody who would help you set up in a certain position? You know, I mean, it's, it's about thinking about things that you never think that you'd have to think about. Right. You know? I mean, and, 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 I, and I've learned from you that there are, you have had to learn and you, ha, you know, have become masterful at saying, okay, I need help with that. I need, you know, this done for me. I need that done. I need that. And this, you know, for many people, this is like, okay, I need help getting into the chair. I need help with this. But again, they may be used to it or they may be comfortable with it. But it also is, I mean, we are, we have two minutes until our, our next okay. break. We are born of sexuality. It's one of our most powerful ways of communicating. And even if that means getting, you know, and being held by someone, even if that, you know, whatever that looks like for you, people have to know that they are a sexual being first and then whatever it is that's impacting their body is the other part of them. I agree, and that is the best definition of how we broaden definitions of sexuality and sexual expression. It's not solely about penile vaginal intercourse. It's no. not solely about certain activities. It's a holistic experience, and it very much is physical and mental, and I'm not taking that away, but, but there is a component that, we're, that we need to broaden this definition. Without any question about it, one of the things when we come, we're going to go to a break in one minute here. When we come back, uh, Dr. Mona, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, and I were talking about sexuality and disability. We'll talk about what couples can do um, with if they have someone who is dealing with TBI or PTSD, and it may not seem that there is a physical involvement, but there is something that is causing them to not connect in the way that they did before. And I, I'm reminded, Linda, of that one woman who, when her husband would have an episode, she mimicked being his CO on the walkie-talkie with the headset mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to talk him right. back. You know, and that for me was like, that was like, Wow, and she had to become, you know, her own person who created her own ability to deal with this. We are going to break right now. Please stay with us. We will be right back. My guest is Dr. Linda Mona.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. Season me is on TogiNet, a delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twyla Belk. Tuesday nights at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands, When a Man You Loved Was Abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers. And Twyla Belk is an effervescent force known as the Gotta Tell Somebody Gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website, Cecil Murphy, that's P-H-E-Y dot com. And for Twyla, GottaTellSomebody.com. The show, Season Me, is a far-reaching, faith-based, shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcomed. A chance to get everything out in the open. From questions about writing, to surviving sexual abuse, to the topics of the day. All from a Christian worldview to help you. Season Me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk. Tuesday evenings at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Linda Mona, and we are talking about sexuality and disability. And as a licensed clinical psychologist, this has been her area of specialty for 15 years. And she advocates for the sexual expression and the sexual health of people with disabilities. Before the break, we were speaking about... um, any person who their disability may be cognitive in the area of TBI, traumatic brain injury, or PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so there may not be the physical manifestation, but there may be the behavioral manifestations. There may be other changes from that because that's what we saw this last December when we were in Orlando for the Coalition to Support America's Heroes, that there were a lot more there, and we're seeing a lot more in generally within um, the, the general population. So, Linda, how right. and what would you do? 
Wow. You know, and I will tell you, it, it is a huge clinical challenge, but not one that we can't um, that we can't treat. Let me take one at a time because they're different. Now, some people do have both of those kinds of conditions. Traumatic brain injury um, or acquired traumatic brain injury, some kind of head injury can alter cognitive functioning. What does that mean? We're talking about things like memory, you know, attention, the ability to plan, what, and what are those things? Those are all ingredients to a really great relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Memory, attention, planning, all of those things that go into emotional intimacy and physical intimacy. When people acquire some kind of brain injury, um, relationship issues and conflict surface, um, as well as differences in, in sexual expression. So um, it's not uncommon to see people come in and say, you know, our relationship is just, you know, a partner of somebody with a brain injury might say, you know, I feel like I'm his caregiver, I'm her caregiver. I'm taking care of her all the time. I've got to remind her of everything. It's just another child, right? I'm not yes. mocking that. That is de- what will come through clinically. And 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 I think it, it is difficult because many times people don't have resources to have out outside caregivers or assistance, which can very much help family. What I always say is interdependence is best for everyone. We all need help, we all need assistance, and we all benefit from it. But not everybody has the money to pay for it or has volunteers. And so, and we also know that people with um, brain injury can experience reductions in libido, sex drive, that for men, erections may not be what they used to in women, lubrication, the quality of orgasm in both genders is different. So there's not a huge amount of data, but there is certainly some data that we know that there are both mind changes and physiological changes. Uh, couples therapy is can be challenging, but totally appropriate for this kind of situation. And what we do with people is we, we help with planning ability and remembering. So if that means that somebody writes everything down or puts it in their PDA, yes, you guessed it, we are scheduling sex. <laughs> So just in case you forgot, we're putting it in your PTA and we are scheduling sex. So we use some of the skills that we would use in other treatments and just pull it over to the sex and relationship side of things. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a... Uh, a psychological condition that falls under anxiety disorders. And the minute we hear anxiety and we think of sex, we think, "Uh uh-oh, those two don't go very well together. Um, And unfortunately, when people have heightened levels of anxiety, for whatever reason, um, that that can interfere with both intimate relationships and sexual functioning. Mm -hmm. And so... With post-traumatic stress disorder, and and people can have that from a variety of different traumas, um, we will see a lot of conflict in relationships, difficulties with people watching their partners on edge and people feeling on edge, not knowing what to do with that. Uh, we often will see people react in a, in a heightened state of response, so they startle easily. Um, it could be that touch is something that will startle somebody. And you imagine, you know, not touching or hugging the way that you used to. And so part of it is using, again, anxiety treatments in a way that helps calm down that overactive system that this person is experiencing, this heightened state of arousal, both in their mind and in their body. Sometimes that's medication, right? Right. And medication is used both for the treatment of traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. And guess what? Those medications can often interfere with sexual response and with libido. I, I mean, even for, you know, for any person who's taking some of those medications, the antidepressants, the anti-anxiety, they will often just completely massacre someone's libido, and they won't expect it to be as dramatic as it is. 
Right, because oftentimes they're not told when they're given the medication, either from their primary care provider or their psychiatrist, they'll say, oh, this is a sex-neutral drug. Well, what does that mean? You know, sex-neutral, it still means that there's a certain percentage of people, it might be a lower percentage, but it's a certain percentage of people who will experience sexual side effects. What I tell people is, you know what, when you're dealing with significant mental health issues, medication can, and I'm not a psychiatrist, right, I'm not, I don't write prescriptions, but I know know data and I know that a combination of medication and talk therapy can be very successful with treating post-traumatic stress disorder. And that sometimes that medication interferes, and it's really helpful to have a provider who will work with you with different types of medications. And if you've tried all the medications and you're still experiencing those sexual side effects, then we get down to prioritizing what needs to be treated at this point in time. If you need to be on that medication because you're suicidal, you have significant mental health impairment, then you need to be on it. Let's work on other things that we can do to keep you connected to your body and to your partner. Right. Now, one of the terms, if I'm not mistaken, that you, I've heard you use is to turn down the dial, turn down the noise in their brain. Right, right. And is there a way that you might recommend for someone to do that with um, an exercise or a technique with, so that they can, it can give them the feeling of being more in control without feeling so out of control? Right. And I I certainly can make that recommendation, but not without first saying that if somebody's experienced a very large trauma or any kind of trauma, they really need to see a mental health professional to to have some assistance with guiding it. Because oftentimes it's really hard to initiate some of these exercises on their own because their mind is so filled up. But what we talked about earlier in terms of mindfulness and relaxation, right? right? We know we've talked a lot about progressive muscle relaxation for some people where we, we tighten parts of our body, we let go, we do deep breathing, that can work a lot for people with anxiety-based disorders. For people who have reoccurring images of trauma, you know, there, there really needs to be more directed approach by a mental health care professional to assist with that. But I think relaxation and acknowledging that there's an issue and prioritizing treatment of that person and the relationship. Right? Because sometimes we'll say, well, go get, go get treatment. That person, it's his problem. It's her problem. Well, you know what? There's that problem and there's a couple's issue because disability does not exist on its own. It, it exists within the context of family and relationships. Everybody who loves you is affected in some way by it. Um, and that person needs to be brought in. Well, I know that um, one of the other guests for TogiNet, uh, Lisa Kamen, has done mindfulness with um, men who have returned from uh, military service, and it has been, you know, they're initially kind of like, why are we talking about happiness? And when she starts going through the, um, she is a, you know, a psychologist herself, mm-hmm. she said they are, like, stunned at how effective that this can be for them and put them more in the driver's seat. Again, guided by someone who has the training to do it. Right, right. But I, I know for my, uh, my financial advisor, she, uh, her office used to be in World Trade Center 2. Mm-hmm. And after the towers came down, and she still is dealing with post-traumatic stress from that. And it's something that she has just had to keep, you know, 
ongoingly addressing it. And, you know, the impact has been on her work. It's been on relationships. But that's, you know, she wants to work with it in a way of having herself feel that she's in the driver's seat. Right. Right. And I think part of, part, and I'm, I'm really glad you shared that story because when somebody has experienced trauma and they're dealing with a post, you know, post-traumatic stress or other kinds of trauma, it is often conceptualized as a lifelong condition. That does not mean it does not get better and the symptoms do not become more manageable. And I think that's a very um, appropriate paradigm for disability or any impairment. We've always been so focused on let's just get rid of all the symptoms. Let's just cure everybody because if we cure everybody, everything's just going to be fine. Well, no. A better approach is to say, you know what, this is a condition, this is part of someone's life, there are probably going to be times when it's better or worse. What do we do? What is our plan, right? What's the plan to deal with this when symptoms are better and symptoms are worse? And how do you deal with that personally and how does the couple deal with it? How does the individual, you know, cope with those things and how does the couple do it? And I think mental health care professionals can help arm people with the necessary tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the question I would ask. Someone, sing, sing, bleh, someone is single, and why, how do they tell someone they are dealing with this? How do they say that? Because I know you have said that when it comes to dealing with, you know, the physical um, impairments or the physical things are going to be obvious often. Right. But how do you, how, when do you disclose that there is something that, you know, you need to let them know that this is, you know, part of who you are and this is what's going on with you? Right, right. Well, Lou, you know everything happens on the third date, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, right. no, that was just a, a joke. Well, but, you know, it might happen before the third date <laughs> that you have that conversation. <laughs> You know, I mean, I love this question because you're right. Disclosure of disability status varies depending upon whether somebody has an outwardly noticeable impairment, right? So for someone like me who has lived with a mobility impairment all my life, I use a wheelchair. You know, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's probably explaining about the nature of my condition, but I don't really need to explain much. You know, I have a physical disability. I use a wheelchair. So, you know, and of course now we have like 15 seconds until our break. Right. So, everyone. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Dr. Linda Mona and I are talking about how, if you have a disability, cognitive or physical, at what point do you disclose? Let's say you're doing online dating. At what point do you disclose and what are some of the best ways to do that? Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. 
Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Linda Mona, and we've been speaking about sexuality and disability. And before the break, we were discussing the, you know, the third date rule, because, of course, that's when everything happens. Ha, ha, ha. Now, what we're <laughs> looking at is, let's say you're going back into the dating world, you've been in a relationship, things have ended, and, you know, like anything, you know, you're going back in and you're kind of like, okay, at what point do you disclose that you have a disability either cognitively or let's say you're doing online dating and, and, you know, they're not seeing you physically first. And one of the things, my guest last week was Dr. Beverly Whipple, mm-hmm. and one of the things, and when I told her that you were going to be on tonight, she's like, oh, perfect. She said, Linda will cover this beautifully, <laughs> <laughs> talking about whether or not someone with a spinal cord injury can be orgasmic. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, they can. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah. Let me, let me. I can address that first, and then kind of go back to the dating thing if you want. Um, yes, I think but, I'd like to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, so right. And, and Beverly Whipple has done amazing work on women with spinal cord injury, and you know, and the whole question becomes, what's what's an orgasm, right? So, what we know is that people who acquire spinal cord injury, most people have an alteration in their sexual functioning. Most people have a difficult time having a physiological orgasm similar to the one they had before their injury. When we think about orgasm, we're thinking about a heightened sexual experience. I mean, we take people in the lab and, you know, and, and have them masturbate themselves or in, in controlled environments and we look at it. We can see physiological responses that mimic orgasm in most people, right? But it's really kind of about that subjective experience. Right. And so, you know, what is it? If it's not what it is, and when I tell people it's not going to be the same, but 
but you need to experiment. You need to say where your body's going to go, and it, because people are looking for a heightened sexual experience. This all goes back to sexual scripting. They're used to a beginning, middle, and end. You start here, you do this, and then you do that, right? Right. And somehow their finale is no longer there. And so we work with people with figuring out what it is that, you know, a, sexual, a heightened sexual experience is for them. If it's not going to be exactly the way it was before, what can it be for them? And part of that is being mindful, it's being in tune with erotic feelings, getting people in touch with all senses in their body that are not just genitally focused, right? You know, know, for men who have had prostatectomies where the prostate has been removed, they feel that there's something that has changed and different because there's very little, if any, ejaculate. Right. And that is a change for them because the prostate is the main source for the ejaculatory fluid. But that does not mean that that, you know, so it's a change of what that sexual expression is. Right, it is. And there's some adaptation and adjustment with it. So sometimes people say, oh, you just switch it to your head. You don't just switch something to your head. You explore and you, you know, you think, God, you know, this isn't what it used to be. What can it be? And how can I get there? And it's a lot of experimenting. And I always tell people, just have a ball, you know, doing, you know, testing things out and experimenting and seeing how your body reacts because we don't know until you try. Um, And so, and it can be hard for people to get partners, right? And so that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. What do you do with online dating and disability? I will tell you probably response. I don't have a definitive response. People do it different ways. Some people disclose disability status. Some people feel like they don't want to disclose disability status because nobody will pick them. What we know is that You know, some people don't want to date people with disabilities, and people do get rejected based upon disability status. It's not as if that doesn't happen. It's just like everybody else who gets, you know, rejected. We get rejected based upon that variable. And so you take a risk in outing yourself. A lot of people feel like they would rather have it that way because it's who they are. It represents who they are. And people who don't say that, well, you know, if somebody wants to talk to me on the phone, I want them to talk to me on the phone first, and then I'll tell them about my impairment status. But I think it's, you know, it's how much you tell and when you tell depends upon your comfort level. I tell people to write up statements, you know, like, what do you want to say about your disability? I have a mobility impairment, or I have a spinal cord injury, or I have this, or I have that. You think about what you're comfortable saying, and you test trust out. You look at the way that that partner responds to the little information about disability. You look at the way they respond when you're out in public with them, and you know whether to go further. Right, so I always tell people, you know, a lot of people with spinal cord injury live with difficulty or live with a different way of um, bowel and bladder functioning, which is a huge issue with sexuality and dating. And so, like I will tell people, you don't go up to someone on the first date and say, oh, I have a catheter and I wear a brief and that's part of my disability, right? I mean, it wouldn't be something, you wouldn't ordinarily talk about something that personal on a first date. And I think sometimes people with disabilities are questioned relentlessly. You know, we're supposed to be educators 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Anybody off the street can walk up and say, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? And how do you you know that? It's just like, at what point do people forget their manners? (laughs) You tell me, Lou. You tell me. You're the expert with manners. Right, Lou, the person who will not let my children high five her, they have to shake hands with her. (laughs) I love that. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? (laughs) But you know, it it is true that you know you guys do end up 
on a day, you know, just like on a constant basis. In the same way when women are pregnant, it's kind of like everyone thinks they can go up in their stomach. is sort of like public domain. Right, right. And we do, you know, people with disabilities get very personal questions, and it's hard to know, and I think it depends upon where you are. So if I'm in a professional role and I'm educating, I'm certainly going to come out with a different response than I might when I'm out on a social you know, outing with my family, with my husband and children, um, where I feel more protective or I don't want my kids exposed to certain questions or to think that people can walk up and do that um, mm-hmm. to people with disabilities. So it depends upon where you are. But I always think that that inappropriate stuff should not feel good. I don't ever want to get to a point where it feels fine. It shouldn't feel fine. It's wrong. Um, and so part of it is trying to kind of gauge that. You, and you gauge someone's reaction. And I think people with disabilities know pretty early on if somebody's reacting favorably to them. Right. Well, they get, you know, they develop, you know, um, um, a greater sensitivity on particular reactions, particular body, you know. The body will, you know, so the words will say one thing, but really pay attention to what the body's doing and how the body reacts. Right, how and, they, and how they shift or move away, and you know, some people are more comfortable with self-disclosure. For others, right. they don't want to say as much. That's they, right. You know, this now. Let's go on to because we only got. I think we've probably only got probably about another three or four minutes. I'd like you to give some of your best resources for couples, for people who are single for ideas of things, you know, and we bring a number of these when we do our presentations. Right. And, you know, is it, was it Jamie that we did the presentation for at the disability um, conference? Jamie with cerebral palsy? Oh, yeah, at the Abilities Expo, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right, because right. that's another thing, you know, she wants to be able to, you know, you know, she's an attractive woman, but this is, you know, part of who she is and how her body moves in space. And, you know, she has to be, you know, she says, I'm totally up front that, you know, this is who I am and this is what I, you know, deal with. But she does want, you know, she says, I'm interested in dating and interested in having a partner. Right, right, right. And 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 there is some, you know, kind of indication that the, the more severe the impairment, that it's harder for people to, you know, or for people who have communication barriers, it can be, it's hard, right? If you have a hard time speaking or talking or it takes you longer, people get impatient or they don't understand what you're saying, right? And you have to always kind of keep saying, well, I didn't get that or whatever, which is perfectly fine to say mm-hmm. to somebody with a speech impairment. But, I mean, I think my, you know, my tips and tricks really in a nutshell are, you know, for, for, for sex therapy services, we always direct people to ASECT. Right, ASEC.org. There, we have a number of people with ASEC that deal with disability issues and are fully competent to and, and provide that. You know, yeah, and that's A A S E C T dot org, which stands for American Association Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists dot org, and that's a worldwide organization. Right, right, and it's you can click on your state and find providers in your area. So, and then as far as other things go, you know, I mean, I really, I always advise uh, people to kind of expand their sexual repertoire. So, what does that mean? It means what do you put in your bag of tricks? So, it might right. be communication strategies, right? It might be, you know, um, so many, you know, spending spending ten minutes a day really with your partner and focusing on things, talking about things that don't have to do with all the heaviness in life something light, 
watching something on TV that makes you happy. And then it's about products. I mean, I'm, I'm all about the products. And, and I think that there are different types of sexual products that can help people. So we know that there are certain cushions, right, mm-hmm. that help people get into positions. Um, so, you know, there are the – and, of course, I have to say, I don't work for any of these places, right? Right. <laughs> I'm just right. advising. I mean, there's the liberator-shaped cushions that help tremendously with people with disabilities and helping them to get in positions. <laughs> Right, and here's the thing. All of the products that we're talking about here are products that were designed for able-bodied markets, but the creativity of people when they have something, when they have a disability or something's happening with their body, this is what they make them be, they create new uses for them. That's right, because people with disabilities are more creative lovers than most. (laughs) They have to be. Yeah, I mean, I think I think other products that have that are ergonomically designed that people can hold on to, you know, mm-hmm. dildos, vibrators, um, anything we can attach Velcro to, anything that you know will help with extension. So, like when we think about even pregnant women who are unable to reach in between their legs or other parts of their body, what, what can we build up on that? What can we extend to help people touch themselves or their partners touch them if they have limitations with their hands? Right, and so one of the groups that. Sorry, did you finish with that, Linda? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, One of the groups that was a company that was very generous is a company called Sportsheets. And there was a gentleman who had two steel rods in his back. And a gentleman who created this company, Tom Stewart, and it's sportsheets.com. And this soldier made the comment in Orlando that he couldn't bend his back. And one of our other um, people who were presenting, Mitch Tepper, said, oh, well, you know, and he's got a thing, a sling that went on the door, and his comment was, damn, he says, I got the toy, he said, I got the information, now all I need is the girl, because I got to do everything standing up. (laughs) That's right. He knew what was going to work for him. And these are things that can be so adaptable. The little things, you know, that normally you use with your hands, if you don't have strength in your hands, you can put them around your wrist and then hold your partner to you. And so, again, I think you are absolutely right, Linda, that people who have any form of disability, they are more creative as lovers. They're more creative, and I think when they get to their comfort level, they also have a better communication skill. Right now, right. We have like ten more seconds. My guest is Dr. Linda Mona. She can be reached at drlindamona.com, and that's drlindamona.com. Thank you for being with me, Linda. Thank you, Lou. It's always so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, my dear. Take care okay. of your throat. I will. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 